Good morning. We're blessed again with a great opportunity to be together and worship God. Trust as we look into His Word today, we will find some things that will be encouraging and helpful for, for each and every one. I didn't ask Seth to lead that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, but I'm thankful that he did. And hopefully our thoughts today will go along with the, some of the thoughts that are expressed in that song. We're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. We want to look at what the writer of Hebrews has to say to us about God's faithfulness. And specifically today, I want us to focus in on how God's faithfulness should affect our own faithfulness. Because he says here, let us hold fast our profession, or our confession, sorry. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He is who promised is faithful. So we live in a disturbing time in a changing world, and there's things that we thought we could depend on about our world that, that lo and behold, we cannot depend on. And we should have known that to begin with, and yet we can be deceived. And when we put our hope and our trust in anything in this world, we're going to be disappointed, and our hope is going to waver. And so that's why we need to think about this, and we need to consider God's faithfulness so that our hope and the confession of that hope will not waver. So as we think about the word faithfulness, what comes to your mind? I think everybody has a pretty good idea of what it means. It means to be dependable, reliable. Those things, I believe, are legitimate synonyms for the word faithfulness, but there's another part to it, and it's that we're faithful to something very specific. This from a Bible dictionary, it's a commitment to a relationship with God or fellow human beings seen in that loyalty, devotion, and service, which is, re is a reflection of God's own faithfulness. So what is God faithful to? He's faithful to His promise. He's faithful to what He said that He would do. So when we consider the idea of faithfulness today, it's more than just being reliable. It's being faithful to doing the things that we have committed to do, just like God has. It goes on to say here that Scripture points to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ as an example for believers. So we want to look at that faithfulness first in our study today, at God's faithfulness and at the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And our goal here, as I've already stated, is so that we can, we'll look at that, we'll understand that, and then that, that will help us in our own faithfulness in this life. So in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14, Joshua recognizes that his life is coming to an end. You know, and that's a, that's a difficult time in a lot of ways. We recognize that as life draws to a close, there's going to be a bunch of things that we do for the last time. And one of the things that we do 
for a last time is talk to our children. What are you going to say? I realize if you're young, you probably hadn't given that much thought. Well, this is what Joshua decided to say. And there's a whole discourse here in Joshua 23. I would encourage you to go read all of it. But here in verse 14, he says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing, not one thing, he says, has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Not one thing has failed. So that's one of the things that Joshua wants to remind his people of for the last time. All have come to pass for you, not one word of them has failed. So we think about that, and, and, and we know that, that bad things happen to these folks. They got sick. They died. Sometimes they lost in battle. Lots of bad things happened. God never promised that there wouldn't be bad things happen to us. But what Joshua says is that God was faithful and not one thing that He had promised them failed. God is faithful. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, I believe this is Moses. I believe he's delivering the law as God gave it to him on Mount Sinai. He's delivering that law to God's people. And here in verse 9 it says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. So does, does that mean that there's a time limit? The thousandth generation comes and the promise is over? We know that's not the case. His point is, by using that number, is that there's no limit to God's faithfulness. There's no limit to it. In Lamentations 3 and verse 22, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Time and time in Scripture we find the examples of people that defied God and disobeyed God and rejected God. When He had blessed them time after time after time, and yet they reject Him. And they would go worship idols. And they would violate His clear commands given for their own benefit. You know, just kind of like you and I. But we're not consumed. We're not consumed because His compassions fail not, the Bible says. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's keeping His promise to us. He's faithful. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13, If we are faithless, which sometimes we are, it's just a fact, 
He remains faithful. He remains faithful. It's not a good idea to treat God the way we treat Him sometimes. But He's faithful regardless. He keeps His promises regardless. He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Romans 3 and verse 3, For what if some did not believe? And certainly there are a lot of people in our world that don't believe. Will their unbelief make their faithfulness of God without effect? Seems kind of like a silly question, doesn't it? Certainly not, he says. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Men have become very skilled at rejecting God and depending on their own understanding of things. So that's why he asks the question here. Does that mean, because men don't believe, does that mean that God is not faithful? Not at all, he says. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Do you want to overcome when you're judged? I think I've told you this story before, but I was having a conversation with a gentleman one time, and we talk, were talking about this very idea that we were all going to stand before God in judgment, and his statement to me was, God cannot judge me because I don't believe in Him. How arrogant can you be? It doesn't matter if you believe in Him or not. He will judge you. He is God. And He is faithful to His Word and to His promise. Now He's given you the choice. And you can choose to reject God. You can choose to say, I don't believe in God. But He's still God. And He's still faithful to His Word and to the things that He has said are going to happen. Every knee will bow. It doesn't change God's faithfulness, what we believe. Hebrews 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. So what is He asking us to do? Consider Jesus. Let's think about Jesus for a moment, he says. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. So what does that mean? What, what was Jesus faithful to? He was faithful to what God asked him to do. So what that means is that he set aside what he wanted and he was faithful to God. And we see that. We see that in Scripture. We see that in the life of Jesus. We see that in his prayer. When he prayed fervently that that cross 
didn't have to happen? Please, Father, let this cup pass from me. But he was faithful. He did it anyway. In 2 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul is talking to the folks at Corinth. And he, he had written them the letter of 1 Corinthians. And he'd got on them good over several different issues. And then, as a follow-up, he wanted to go to Corinth. And he wanted to talk to them face to face. And then this is what he says about that here in verse 17. Therefore, when I was planning this, he was planning a trip to Corinth. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? I want you to understand what he's saying here. He said, I wanted to come. I planned this trip. I planned to come, and I didn't do that lightly. And I'm not telling you yes and no at the same time. Now, what he's doing here is he's drawing a contrast between the way men are and the way God is. God don't tell us yes and no at the same time. We live in a very political world, unfortunately. And we get caught up in all of that, and it becomes normal to us for a person to tell one group yes and the other group no. And God's not like that. And that's what Paul is trying to get the people at Corinth to understand. It's not yes and no at the same time. So, when the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, it's referencing the faithfulness of God. So, Karen asked me a question last night. Very straightforward, simple question. You know what I said? I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't want to make a commitment. And after I thought about that, because she asked me why I always answered her that way, after I thought about that, I, I, I realized I, that's probably my answer more often than not. Our answer ought to be yes or no. That's the way God is. Yes or no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no. God's word is clear. It's not ambiguous. It's not confusing. It's faithful. For all the promises of God in Him are yes. And in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you is Christ, 
and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We need to be able to say yes or no and give God the glory. Because when it's right, when it's righteousness, when it's the right thing to do, we need to give God the glory. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. I mentioned earlier about the children of Israel and how things were up and down with them. But God was faithful. We're in the exact same place. We have a faithful Creator, and He's going to keep His promises. And we're going to look at some of those more specifically here in a moment. But He will keep those promises. And when we're suffering, when things are not the way that we want them, we need to remember this. And we need to commit our soul to our faithful Creator. Because He has promised And we need to keep doing good. Doesn't matter how difficult, how big a challenge life throws at us, we can still do good. Just like the Bible said about Job, he sinned not with his lips. We need to continue to do good because we have a faithful Creator. Psalms 40 and verse 9, and I I want you to understand, I'm I'm not putting myself in this situation. I am suggesting that I would like to be this way. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. In other words, he's saying he he hadn't kept it to himself. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. What is the best opportunity we have to do that? To declare His faithfulness when we're suffering. That's when. When everything's grand, we need to continue to glorify God. But it's when things are difficult that we have the best opportunity to declare His faithfulness. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. So I mentioned we would talk about some specific things that God is faithful to. So I, and, and you could go on for days and days. So That's one of the risks when you start trying to build something like this is where do you stop? But I want to look at some things that I think really are life-changing for you and I. 
And the first idea is I want you to understand God is faithful to operate. Now, the King James calls this process that's described here in Colossians 2 as an operation. That's why I use that term. But he says here, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. So when we obey the gospel in baptism, God does something. He does something to our heart. And He's faithful to do that. We were in India last December. They asked if I would baptize some folks. I, I'm always reluctant to do that because I, I, I don't want to distract. And, and I don't want it to be about me at all. But I agreed to do it. And the first lady up to be baptized, Robert comes over there and says, she, she's afraid of water, so you need to do this quickly. So I did it quickly. I scared the poor lady to death. <laughs> and I regret that simply because it was a distraction from what had happened there. But I believe God performed the operation on that lady's heart, regardless of me trying to goof it up. God is faithful. You know, and then they come back and said, please, brother, go slower. <laughs> God's faithful. He does the operation on our heart. And we need to be confident of that. And we need to let Him do that. He's faithful to deliver. Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I know this dynamic that I'm fixing to describe is an old person dynamic. But when you reach a certain age, it becomes quite obvious to you that things aren't like they used to be. And it seems like most of the time, things aren't like they used to be in a really bad way. So, we look at our world today, and I can identify a whole long list of things that's not what they used to be. And I want to be delivered from that. And God's the one to do it. God's the one to do it. Who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present you remember the present he's talking about was in the first century. And he, they lived in an evil age. Now 
Now we're in an election season, and I want to remind us of something. There's not a political solution to this evil age we live in. The solution is right there. Jesus Christ is the solution. And He will deliver us from this present evil age, regardless of the politics. Now, we need to pray, we need to faithfully pray, but we don't need to get caught up in all of this divisive, whatever you want to call it, that's going on. Because God is the one that will deliver us, and He's faithful to do that. In 2 Peter 2, I'm not going to read those verses, but Peter references two things in history to emphasize this point. He gives us two examples, Noah and Lot. Now when you look at those two examples, as a percent, how many righteous people were there involved in those two situations? Very small number. God delivered the righteous and He's going to deliver the righteous today. We don't know how. We don't need to know how. We just need to believe that God is faithful to His promise to deliver. And we need to continue to shine the light in a dark world. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in that other thing, and we think that that's the way to do it, and the way to do it is to talk about the faithfulness of God to deliver. Once we've become a Christian, once He's performed that operation on us in baptism, we have the blood of, blood of Jesus to cover our sins. In 1 John 1, He plainly states that God's faithful to forgive. When we confess that sin, we acknowledge that we messed up, God is faithful to forgive. He's faithful to provide. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. He hasn't promised to keep us from temptation. That's not the promise. But the promise is, is that there will be a way to avoid or escape the temptation. That is a promise. And that is a promise God's faithful to. Philippians 4, He's faithful to keep this promise. We can have this peace that passes understanding. We can, because God is faithful. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, And the Lord is but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Philippians 4 represent, uh, mentioned this same idea. God is our guardian. There's limits. There's limits. 
Satan cannot force his will on you. He cannot, because God has placed limits on him. Now, he's going to put the temptation in front of you. He's going to do everything he can to get you to give in to that temptation, but he cannot force you, because God is faithful. He's faithful to love. I've got Ephesians 2, 4 where he says, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love which He has loved us. And we know that God is love. And He's faithful to love His creation. So God's faithful in these, all of these different areas. To operate, to deliver, to forgive, to provide, to give peace, to guard, and to love. So that's the things I've put together about God's faithfulness. So what does that mean for you and I? What, what was the writer talking about when he said, because God is faithful? On Wednesday night, Andrew had a study about wisdom. And one of his statements was, uh, this may not be exactly right, but it's something to the effect that it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to read a, a chapter in Proverbs every day. So I wanted to repeat that for those that weren't here Wednesday night, because that's an excellent suggestion. Because what Proverbs does is it does give us wisdom. It does give us the information we need to make good decisions as we live life from day to day. And so I want to look here at these verses we find in Proverbs 3 in the context of, of our study this morning. Where the wise man says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, when we think about life and we think about what happens to us and we think about the difficulties and the challenges that we face in this life, what difference does it make whether or not God's faithful? It makes all the difference. Because people betray us. People let us down. It's just the nature of life. But God does not. God will not betray us, nor let us down, nor do anything that would harm us. So why wouldn't we trust Him? Because we don't find Him faithful. We forget. So when He says here to trust in the Lord, If we find God faithful, we will trust Him. You need to do that with all of your heart, He says. And lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. We convince ourselves that things are supposed to be a certain way, and if they're not that way, then it's God's fault, and we don't trust God. Don't do that. Trust God. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. And see, be able to recognize the difference. We want and expect things to be a certain way. That's our understanding. That's our understanding. Trust the Lord, he says. Not that. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be help to your bones, help to your flesh, sorry, and strength to your bones. What a great blessing and a great promise. Luke 16. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So there's all kinds of application here. But I want to illustrate what I believe he's trying to teach us. We need to do what we say we're going to do within the best of our ability. Part of the challenge, we referenced the Apostle Paul earlier that had a plan and a desire to go and visit Corinth. Well, it didn't happen, at least then. He wrote him another letter. So there's things with it that are with, not within our control. There's more things outside of our control, actually, than we do control. But when you say you're going to do something, do your best to do it. He says, if you're not faithful in little things, how are you going to be faithful with the big things? And I know it's a pet peeve, I, it, and it's part of that, you know, the way things used to be thing for me. But used to, if you called somebody on the phone and they said, I don't know, I will call you back, they would call you back. And now, I don't know what the percent is, it's less than 10 most of the time when people say, I will call you back, they're just trying to get rid of you and they're not going to call you back. Don't be that. Yeah, it's a little thing. But if we're not faithful in little things, I believe that's his point here. We dismiss our faithfulness, our need to be faithful, by saying, oh, it don't make any difference. And it does make a difference. The little things matter. We should be faithful. And if you're not sure you can call somebody back, don't tell them you're going to. And the scary part about that whole thing, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You know what he's talking about? Everything we have in this life, God has given us to be a steward of. 
we can't be faithful with that stuff. Who will give you what is your own, your eternal inheritance? The little stuff matters. Be faithful. Matthew 25 and verse 21, and this is a judgment scene. And these people had been given the opportunity to do a lot of good things, and they had just let those opportunities go by. But the ones that didn't let the opportunities to serve other people, this is what he said to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Do we see Luke 16 in that? These little things that we convince ourselves don't matter. The Lord said you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Scripture calls us to faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It's the same idea, I believe, expressed in Matthew 25. We have gifts. We have opportunities. We have abilities to do certain things as we live our life. And we do use those gifts... And those opportunities to glorify God. And that's how we're a faithful steward. If we hang our head and say, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that, we're not a faithful steward. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Sometimes life is very discouraging. It is. Not sure. But sometime in this time frame, when Paul's writing this, he's in prison. But he says, I finished the race. He he sees the end coming. Kind of like Joshua. So this message, Timothy is his child in the Lord. It's his last words, some of his last words to Timothy. Be faithful. It's worth it. Keep up the fight. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. So I don't, I don't know how to talk about a sermon about faithfulness about, without talking about marriage briefly. Such an important part of our life, such an important part of our earthly relationships. I have a story I want to relate. There was this old older gentleman, he had an early morning doctor's appointment. 
He went there early, checked in as soon as they would let him, and he said, I, I have another appointment I need to keep. If, if y'all could get me in, I, I would sure appreciate it. So he had to wait a bit, and then the nurse came and called him back, and she said, I understand you're kind of in a hurry because you have another appointment. And he said, yes, I, my wife's in the nursing home down here in the Alzheimer's unit, and I try to visit her at the same time every day. And the nurse said, well, how long has she been in the Alzheimer's unit? And he said, nearly a year. And she said, well, she probably don't even know who you are. And he said, no, she don't. And the nurse said, well, why does it matter if you go visit her? And he said, because I know who she is. I hope you, I hope you hear this, young folks. Marriage don't always turn out like we dream. And there's a reason for the vows that we take. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. That means something. And that old guy understood that. When you make a vow to God, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5, Do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. A wedding vow means something. Keep it. Be faithful. Be faithful. It's not just about the physical relationship. It's about keeping the vow. In Malachi 2 and verse 14, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And then we have Ephesians chapter 5. And I, I, I'm assuming if you're married or thinking about getting married, that you've looked at Ephesians chapter 5. And if you hadn't, you need to. You need to study it. You need to understand it. And you need to apply it. And I've just picked a section out here. But he says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Remember when we read the definition of faithfulness? How Jesus and his faithfulness is an example for you and I? So he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. So the picture here is that the Lord is married to the church. So how does the Lord treat the church? 
And how's the church supposed to treat the Lord? They understood marriage. He's not teaching them about marriage. He's teaching them about the church. Now you and I can learn about marriage. For we are members of His body, He says, of His flesh and of His bones. The church doesn't exist without Jesus. For this reason, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there, there's a mutual obligation to faithfulness. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as the church respects Christ. Be faithful to it. It will be the greatest, one of the greatest blessings in your life outside of your relationship with God. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. See what happens when we're faithful? When we do what we say we're going to do? Who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, see who gets the glory? When we're a good steward of the things God's given us, and we're faithful, God gets the glory. Not me. Not me, not you, but God. God gets the glory. There's a lot of other things we find in Scripture that we're to be faithful to. But I hope you understand the concept. And I hope as you consider what we've talked about today, that we can and that we will hold fast the confession of our hope. We have hope. And we're going to confess that, not in word only, but in deed. And we're going to do that without wavering, without doubting, because of He who promised is faithful. That's our study today. We never want to close without offering an invitation. It's the Lord's invitation to those that are burdened. All ye that are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. If you need the prayers of the church today, we want to assist you with that. If you want to obey the gospel in baptism today, we want to give you the opportunity to make that desire known as well. So we would ask one or more of either class to come as we stand and sing.